0: The, the Starbright the Star Theater? At 6:30, the 6.30, the door's open. 6.30. And so most of you, I think probably probably all of you, or maybe if you're new, um, over at the Star Bright Theater in the Summerlin area, uh, tomorrow night, uh, Miss Ginger and her quartet. Quintet. 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 Quintet uh, will be uh, putting on a concert. So we encourage you to, to go out and uh, spend some time listening to some beautiful, uh, lovely, Classical music. And no tickets. And no tickets, yeah. It's a, it's a free concert, although they do pass a hat. And Miss Paula is my page turner. Oh, Miss so <laughs> Paula will be there. All oh, right. right, very good. <laughs> now, uh, Ginger and I, and, and, and some others, uh, we're also planning a, a concert that we'll do there in, in May, I think. So they have a set up in May. And uh, so you can start planning now to, to, to attend that. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> But I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation. uh, Revelation, chapter two, as we continue our study of the book of Revelation. And uh, we're looking today in the second chapter and the letter to the second church in, uh, in line here with the second chapter beginning at verse number eight. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death Let's pray. Our Father in God, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you, O Lord, that you are here present with us through God, the Holy Spirit. And as we study your word, we pray that you would be our teacher. We thank you for the wonderful lessons that we had in Sunday School. The truth, as revealed in your Holy Word in the Book of Ecclesiastes, that when everything is said and done, the only thing that matters, the only thing that makes the difference is faith love, and obedience to you. So as we study your word today, we pray that you will open our understanding, touch our hearts, touch our minds, our spirits, enable us to understand. And then we pray that we will share your truth with others thanking you and adoring you and praising you and loving you all to the honor and to the glory of the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray give him thanks Amen (coughs) and so Smyrna the second church here in the List of the seven churches. Give you a bit of a historical background on, on Smyrna. Now the word Smyrna <coughs> is um, is related to the word myrrh, myrrh, which actually uh, means suffering or death. And myrrh was a a, uh, a, a spice that, uh, that was used to to basically help perfume the body of of a dead uh, individual. Uh, Smyrna also means bitter, and Smyrna was a very, very important church in that it provides a tremendous example of faithfulness. Smyrna is located in Asia Minor, just like the rest of the seven churches. Western Turkey on the side by the Aegean Sea where the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean meet. It like uh, Ephesus that we studied last week is a seaport and it's 35 miles north of of Ephesus. It was a city of culture and uh, uh, one of the richest cities actually in the Roman Empire at that time. Now, I'm, I'm personally familiar with Smyrna because today, the modern city of Izmir is the ancient city of Smyrna. And I was stationed in Turkey. I wasn't stationed there, but I did I did the visit Izmir, uh, or Smyrna, uh, back in 1975. I was uh, coaching the high school wrestling team from our base down in, in, uh, in southern... Uh, southern Turkey and so the final the final tournament took place here in Izmir. It's a large, large city cosmopolitan city and it was very large uh, in in the time of the writing. It was established somewhere in the in the 50s and I believe that it was established during the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. The Apostle Paul went on several and uh, uh, the, the third missionary journey they believe Scholars believe that that was the time when, when the church actually was, was founded. But we don't have a specific date, but we know that the churches were being founded all, all throughout um, the, uh, the country of Turkey and then into uh, Thrace and into, into Greece uh, around AD 54 to 56, so somewhere in that, in that period of time. There was a, a, a mixed congregation of people and uh, the church at Smyrna, all different, uh, all different ethnic groups. Uh, certainly there were Christian Jews, because you know that in the first century, the church was made up primarily of, of Jewish believers. But the message was taken also to the Gentile people, the Romans, the Greeks, etc., and, and many of them became, uh, became Christians. Now, there was one gentleman whose name is Polycarp. He is referred to as an early church father and believed to be one of the students of the Apostle John. And you know that John was the bishop or pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Polycarp is referred to as a bishop or pastor of the church in Smyrna. And around AD, 156, Polycarp was burned at the stake for his faith in Christ. There was a festival being held in this particular year, and there was a tremendous amount of persecution, and as we will get into that here with with Smyrna in just a bit. But the people were celebrating and the, the governor there at the time was very antagonistic toward Christians because the, the Christians initially were thought to be another sect, S-E-C-T, okay, another sect of Judaism. But there were those who who within the Jewish community who who didn't accept the message of, of Christ, and they were in the wealthier class, and so they were in with the Roman officials, and they had a tremendous influence with them, and they influenced them to come against Polycarp and, and the church. And so Polycarp was, was put on the spot, and he was he was told to recant or to renounce Christ and to to worship Caesar as God or as Lord. And Polycarp's response basically was, for 86 years, the Lord has done me no wrong. I will not renounce him, for he is my Lord and my Savior. So of course they strapped him to the stake and they set him ablaze. And while he was being burned alive, he he prayed and he thanked God for the gift of God's love and His grace and His mercy. And he died there as a martyr. The reputation of the, the church in Smyrna was one of tremendous persecution, but also of faithfulness, and that they were spiritually rich. You see, they were sanctioned, they were deprived of, of certain rights, because eventually Christianity was viewed by the Roman Empire as an illegal religion. An illegal religion and at odds with everything that Rome stood for. So as we look at this passage here, we read that these things says the first and the last. The first and the last. And we we mentioned before that in in the first chapter, there's this description of the Lord Jesus as as he appears to the Apostle John. And he refers to himself as the Alpha and the the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first and and the last, The one who was dead and came to life. So we know who is speaking here. We know that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's everything from A to Z. He's the one who came from heaven, who was crucified, died, was buried, and rose on the third day. And then on the 40th day he ascended back to the Father where he sits in majesty and glory and power. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified, the one who who suffered. And so Jesus tells the church at Smyrna, I know your works. And we mentioned before that that Jesus knows everything that goes on in an individual church's life and ministry, as well as each individual Christian. And not just each individual Christian, but every person that walks upon the face of the earth. God is aware of everything. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything, everything. Nothing, Nothing is hidden. And uh, we read in and studied in, the, in our Sunday school lesson that there is nothing hidden from God. You cannot hide anything from God, He knows it all. But what's especially interesting about the word that's used here for know in the Greek actually refers to Jesus knows from personal experience what it means. To suffer he knows what it means to suffer persecution to suffer ridicule to suffer discrimination to be rejected and to be killed for who he was and is and for the message that he preached but the Bible also teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ overcame death, did he not? Indeed, he rose from the dead. But he's telling the Christians there, the church in Smyrna, I know, I understand, I have been through to the point of death. Everything that you are experiencing, I have experienced. And experience it together with you. Because the church is referred to in the scripture as the body of Christ. Amen? We are his bride, we are his body, we are his family. He says, I know your works. And he goes on to say, and I know your your tribulation. Tribulation. And again, the word that's used in the Greek for in this particular passage for, for tribulation is another Greek word that actually means pressure. The idea of, of pressure or weight, like the, the, the pressing of the grapes that caused the juice or the blood of the grape, you follow? Or, or like the, the weight of a grindstone that grinds the wheat down into the flour to the powder. He says, I understand the pressure, the weight of the suffering that you are experiencing. I understand. I know. I see it and I know it and I feel it. And then poverty. He says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. Now, Again, very interesting because there are several words that can be used for, for poverty. In, in the Greek, there's the word penia, where we get uh, penury, all right? It refers to a person who has to work for a living. You know, they're not, they're not wealthy, they don't have uh, you know, the biggest house on the hill and all of that, they're, they're just an average person in there and they're working. And if, if they're not working, at least if they're not living in the U.S., the government's not going to be sending them money, okay? That, that you know, that doesn't happen in, in most other countries. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is tokia, which means beggary, completely destitute, absolute poverty. In other words, having to beg. You understand the condition of the church in Smyrna? They were not a wealthy church. They weren't like the church over in Laodicea that we'll look at several weeks down the road. They actually even said, we're rich. Why, we've got all kinds of money and things. We've got it all made. We've got it all together. This church in Smyrna was destitute with respect to material wealth. They were poor. But notice what he goes on to say. Ah, but you are rich. Amen? You are rich. Not rich and famous, you know, by men's uh, estimation. You remember that show? I don't know if they still show that or not. The, the rich and the famous. Right, they used to have that, that, that program, the rich and the famous because that's what the world that's what the world seeks after that's what the unbeliever seeks after ah sadly that's what many christians seek after too worldly faith riches things and all those things are temporary fleeting and in a moment of time can be gone but jesus says that they are rich rich, not by man's estimation of of riches. But then he goes on and he says, and I know the the blasphemy. Now, blasphemy, the word that's used here, and generally in the scripture when we we read the word blasphemy, it's with respect to, to words that are spoken against God. But here, it's used with respect to the slander of the church. It's used with this idea of people slandering the church. It's known that at that time, there was a a very large synagogue. And notice what, what Jesus says. He says, I know those who say they are Jews and are not. You know that churches are filled with all kinds of people who say they're Christian but actually aren't Christian. And there are people who call themselves Jews and really aren't. Because according to the Bible, being Jewish or being Christian is more than a matter of ethnicity. It's more than a matter of blood. You follow It has to do with faith. Those who are truly in the family of God. Now we read a couple of weeks ago, and you can read it on your own, John chapter 8, where Jesus was having this discussion with some religious leaders. And they got into this discussion because basically what Jesus told them was that they really weren't believers in God. That they were slaves to their their own sin and to their own philosophies. And they said, we're we're not, we were born into bondage. Abraham is our father. And he went on to tell them, though, if Abraham were your father, then you would do the works of Abraham. But that is not what you seek to do. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And I've said this many times, and and I'll continue saying it. God makes a distinction between those who are His and those who are not. This idea that we're all in the family of God is not taught in the Bible. You must believe in Him. You must have accepted Him as your Lord and as your Savior to be in His family. If you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior guess what you are not in the family now I didn't write this I like to repeat that this is the Lord speaking and he's speaking to John and he says I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and are not you see in the first century there was a tremendous amount of animosity between those who were Christian, and that Christian community was made up of Jewish people and Greeks and Romans and, and many others. As a matter of fact, even Persians. But then there was the Jewish community that rejected the idea of Christianity, and they persecuted the Christians. All oh, but things changed as the years when violence and the centuries passed because then the Christians became guilty of persecuting the Jews all the way to the 1940s and you had someone by the name of Adolf Hitler who called himself a Christian you follow And there were those who called themselves Christian in Germany and refused to help the Jews during that time. Now, there were Christians who did, thankfully. But you see, just because someone calls themselves a believer in God doesn't make them so. You follow? And just because they happen to be born into a particular family does not make them a believer. It is a choice that an individual must make. But for centuries, the church persecuted the Jews and made it so difficult for them to accept the whole idea of of Christ when, in fact, Jesus is Jewish. And the church in the first century was primarily made up of Jewish believers, understanding and recognizing the 53rd chapter in the book of Isaiah. In this past week, I, I, I watched a, a documentary on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, they, and they're in, in Jerusalem, in this museum. And it's a, it's a circular building. And on the inside, they have this display. And they have the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, wrapped all the way around that, from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It dates all the way back to 100 B.C., And why the 53rd chapter? Because the 53rd chapter describes the Messiah, the one who would come and give his life a ransom for many. The one by whose stripes we are healed. They use this word blasphemy to slander the church, slandered by false Christians and Jews, And Jesus is saying, I know all that you have experienced. But he goes on to say this, do not fear. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now wait a minute. He's already said they've been suffering. You follow? Now generally, the first Response when, when we find ourselves in some very difficult, challenging situation or suffering, illness, whatever the case might be, is we ask to be delivered. Isn't that right? We ask to be delivered or, or to take this away. But here, what Jesus is saying is I know what you've been suffering, but more is coming. Or in other words, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You've ever heard that phrase, I'm sure, right? You've heard that phrase before. But it might be surprising to you to know that suffering comes with a dedicated Christian life. It's a part of the Christian life. Just because you come to know the Lord as your Savior doesn't mean that you'll have no more problems. You know those guys on TV, especially. Oh, they like to talk about how wealthy you can be and how rich you can be. Uh, I wonder if that, how that message would go over in Smyrna. How healthy you can be, and you can just have it all, man. You can just have it all. You just name it and claim it, brother, and it'll be yours. Just make sure you send me that fifty dollars. And I'll send you this little card. I'll send you my book. I just wrote this book the other day, you know. Yeah. Big business in America, isn't it? Big business. Because the message that when you come to know the Lord as your Savior, your life is going to be filled with a tremendous amount of suffering and challenge and pain and misery. Boy, how would that go that's what Jesus tells him here. He says, I know what you've gone through, but more is coming. But don't be afraid. I'm sure you're familiar with the, uh, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. Right? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh there are all kinds of information in that one little song. Enemies, the valley of the shadow of death. He's talking about suffering and pain and persecution he's talking about also being alone have you ever felt alone have you ever been in a crowd of people and yet felt so alone have you ever had the experience where everyone around you was laughing but on the inside you were not laughing ah you were weeping it comes with the Christian life and he goes on and he tells him that some of them are going to be killed killed because of their Christian faith, because of their devotion to God, because of their faithfulness. But then he also tells them who the real enemy is. The devil is the enemy. In the book of Ephesians it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers in high places. We have a a spiritual enemy, and that enemy is none other than Satan, the devil himself. We must understand that God's desire for all mankind is for everyone to know Him, to know Christ as Lord and Savior, to understand that He is the Messiah. There is no other And then he goes on and he says, some of you are going to be put into prison. And here the, the apostle John himself, where was he when he wrote this? Where was he? Yes, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. He was in prison himself. Well, the Lord revealed this to him. There will be prison times of testing and tribulation and, and the lord says 10 days now there has been a tremendous amount of of discussion and interpretation of this 10 days the one thing that we that we all agree on it's a definite period of time and it's a limited period of time because it's 10 days that's right so he didn't say 11 he didn't say 27 he said 10 So it's a definite period of time, so there's going to to be an end. Now, Some believe that it refers to ten periods of history within the the history of the Church through the ages. Some have uh, specifically identified ten periods of tremendous persecution of the Romans upon the Church, and they go by each individual ruler or leader of Rome at the time. There are some who take that position and some who don't. But the position that we can all agree on is that there is a definite period of time and that this tribulation is going to take place or this suffering is going to occur. This pressure, remember that word for pressure, the weight and the suffering, the stress, And yet, the Lord says, do not fear. A writer, John Greenleaf Whitley wrote, I know not where his islands live, their fronded palms in the air. I only know I cannot drift beyond his love and care. No matter how bleak, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, no matter how miserable, no matter how, how lonely your experience may be, you are never beyond God's care. Jesus says, fear not. Fear not. And then he encourages them to be faithful unto death faithful unto death. And of course, he's referring to this this physical life. This life that we live here on the earth and all through the book of, of Ecclesiastes as we've been studying. As long as we're alive on this earth, we have an opportunity. We have tremendous opportunity to serve God. To serve one another. To do tremendous good. And remember that only those things that are done God, only those things that are done from the right motive, only those things that honor the Lord last or have meaning. As as Solomon said, everything else is just temporary and vanity. But notice the Lord's going to give those who serve him faithfully the crown of life. And the word that's used here. I think I, I shared this on a, on a Wednesday night. The word that's used for the crown here is Stephanos. Stephanos. And it, and it really refers to the, to the wreath that was placed upon the heads of the, of the athletes when they would, they would compete. They'd all compete for this, for this crown, which was really a wreath, a garland wreath, green wreath, that they would place upon their heads. They were the champion. But the word that's used for the crown that the Lord Jesus wears is the Greek word diadema. We even sing it in, you know, in, in uh, Crown Him with Many Crowns, right? The Lord upon His throne. The diadema, Jesus wears many crowns because He is the King of Kings. But it also refers to the fact that, that we as believers are given eternal life. We will live forever now spiritual discernment because it says here verse 11 he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches so even though this letter is written and addressed to smyrna the message is for the churches of all time you follow because the word there, churches, is in the plural in, in the Greek, so it's in the plural in, in the English. So we know that these, these seven churches represent the churches of all time. Going all the way back to the beginning, Ephesus, believe, we believe, represents the apostolic church, if you will, the beginning of the church in its, in its infancy. But all of these churches represent churches throughout the entire age of, of Christianity. And various individual churches that have certain characteristics that are consistent with, with things that are identified here. Spiritual discernment. So what is it? What is it? It's the understanding that is given by God the Holy Spirit, so that when we read the Scripture, we understand what it says. And the the Bible says that the unbeliever takes the Bible and wrestles with it to their own destruction. Why? Because the truths of God are spiritually discerned. That is, they're spiritually understood. It is God the Holy Spirit who enables us to understand. He is our teacher. Jesus said, as he told the, the, uh, the apostles before his crucifixion, that he would pray, that the Father would send the comforter, and that the comforter right, would, would teach them, he would lead them, he would guide them, he would explain, if you will, all of those things that they needed to know and to learn and to write, because the Bible says that the Bible is the inspired word of God; that it is God breathed, God the Spirit spoke through through those of the old time and during the New Testament time, and they wrote the Scripture. And God, the Holy Spirit, enables us to understand what the Bible is saying. Now, those who overcome, notice he goes on and he says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now some of you in here may, maybe that's the first time you've heard of the second death. You say, second death? What is is that all about? The Bible says, it is appointed unto men to die once and after this the judgment." But the Bible also goes on to say that there are two deaths. And there are two births. <laughs> there is the physical birth that we go through. Our mother gives birth to us. But then when a person comes to know the Lord, they are born again. And if you hear, you know, you hear people talking about born-agains in in, on TV. It's, it's, it's usually with ridicule or criticism. Yeah, there's some strange, born again, you know. Well, Jesus told Nicodemus, who happened to be a religious leader, unless you are born again, you will not see, you will not understand, you will not know, you will not enter the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom, you follow? You must be born again. When a person accepts Jesus as their Savior, the Spirit of God, God's Holy Spirit, comes to live and dwell within that person. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. God, the Holy Spirit, comes and He lives and dwells within us. And as time goes on, you recognize that there is something different about you. Yes. Absolutely. God has imparted Himself and He's taken up His abode. That is, He's come to live in your life in our lives. And those who overcome are those who place their faith in Christ. And notice he says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now what is this second death? Well, the unbeliever dies just like the believer. We all We all pass from this life. This body ceases to function and is put in the grave or is cremated or You know eaten by sharks or whatever the case might be but the believer goes into the presence of the Lord for the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord even David you recall when 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 that little baby that he had with Bathsheba died he said well the baby can't come to me but I can go to him he was referring to the fact that the baby was innocent and died and went to be with the Lord. And so the believer goes to be with the Lord, but the unbeliever goes to Hades, awaiting final judgment. We have just enough time because the question is, is who experiences this second death? If you know Jesus as your Savior, what did we just read here? They shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death has no power over the believer. So then, who is it for? Well, let's turn to Revelation chapter twenty. And some people say, "Well, I've never heard of such a thing. Where in the world is where in the world do you find this?" Chapter twenty. Chapter twenty in the book of Revelation. All right, and let's begin at verse 6. Blessed and only is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And then, let's go over to verse 11 in that same chapter. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Guess what? All of the efforts of, you know, the people of the great peace and the climate change and the guess what, the earth's gonna burn up, all right? It's already been determined. You can read that over in in Peter's writings as well. No matter what the human race does, it's gonna all be burned up. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great. Now who are the dead? It's not us, because we live forever, you follow? And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, And books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life when you come to know the Lord as your Savior your name is written in God's book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by things which were written in the books the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades you notice that there delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And notice now, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. <coughs> and, oh, a couple years ago, I, uh, I, I shared with you several words, words that are used in the New Testament, that are in the Greek. Zoe, Zoe refers to life but it refers to, to life eternal. And that's the word that's used here for the book of, for the book of life. You follow? But we have the word bios too where we get biology that refers to the physical life. everybody has physical life, but not everyone has the Zoe, the eternal life. And then there's the Suke which refers to the personality and so we have the, the, the study, psychology. All that comes from, from Greek. Referring to life. We all have a certain personality, do we not? We all have biology, even dogs. And they have personalities too, don't they? (laughs) But not everyone has the zoe. Not everyone has eternal life. Only those who have accepted the Lord as their Savior. And those are the ones who escape the second death, but the unbeliever goes to that second death. Why? Because they chose to reject Christ. So, what do we learn from this passage? Let me read through these right quick and we'll come to a focus. The Lord Jesus Christ keeps watch over his church. I'd encourage you to to read Matthew 28, verse 20 and Psalm 121. Basically, Psalm 121, he who watches over Israel does not slumber nor sleep. He who watches over you, those who love him. God does not take a vacation when caring for us. We, the church, and as individual Christians, will face difficulties in this life. So when a, a difficult time comes upon you, whether it's a sickness or, or the loss of a loved one, a loss of the income, whatever the case might be, or persecution or ridicule, no this. God experiences that together with you, and he knows what you're going through. We are to be faithful even though it may mean our death. We're to be willing to share the message even though the message is unpopular. God will reward his children for their faithfulness and for the suffering they endure. And we overcome through the blood of the Lamb. I mentioned earlier, so many denominations have they taken any hymns that refer to the blood out of their hymns. They said, so, so distasteful, you know. Just so distasteful. We're, be, we're beyond that. Yeah, right. The second death has no power over us. Give your heart, your life, your past, your present and future to the Lord Jesus Christ today and be forgiven, restored, and saved. God promises his paradise for those who love him. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.